0: One of the things that I try to follow here at St. Paul's is to follow the lectionary or the Bible choices that are chosen by this some lectionary committee in a far-off room, I think fairly distant from real life and real congregations, but that's what's on the bulletin service that we have, the cover, the title, and then on the back, the story about the road to freedom, and then the biblical passage. And very often, the lectionary passages are passages that I would probably not choose to preach about. Today is one of them. And, uh, but, but it's a good discipline and a good exercise for ministers to do that and to follow that. And the reason that I say they're maybe a little bit distant from us and maybe from normal churches is that we're in the process, and we're, we're using three of these, but we're in the process of having five readings in a row out of Exodus and out of the Israelite and Egyptian dilemma back in the Hebrew scriptures. And I think they're making the assumption that people are here five weeks in a row. And I would say that I might be here five weeks in a row, but I'm not sure anybody else is. And, and that's okay. That's life. That's reality. So last week we actually had the uh, story about the Passover. And the last of the ten plagues of Egypt, the one of passing over, putting the blood over the doorjamb, and the firstborn of all the Egyptians um, dying. And that was actually alluded to in the second verse of the hymn that we just sang. And then today is the parting of the Red Sea, and then next week we'll conclude the three pieces of the Exodus story, um, the part in the wilderness in Sinai of the manna from heaven. So today, with water being the theme and uh, this amazing picture, and for those of us that are of a certain age, I mentioned last week that it's hard to get Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston out of my head from that movie, The Ten Commandments, and those voices from the voice of God, male, and of course with a British accent, um, from, from heaven. So whatever we have, it's best as we try to look at this in today's world to try to let go of those images and those realities and those memories that we have. And the first thing I think that it's important to say, and especially in the world that we're living in right now, yesterday and even this morning, you can smell the ash and and see the ash in the air from local forest fires. I think there are five active hurricanes right now in the Atlantic and the Pacific. What's happened in Texas and Louisiana with Hurricane Irma? I'm sorry, Hurricane Harvey, you may know, get it right there. And what happened in Florida and in the Caribbean with uh, Hurricane um, Irma? That these are just very incredibly powerful and scary experiences to live through. And it's a, of course, it's a very natural human reaction to attribute ma- massive uh, natural catastrophes, or disasters, or whatever we want to call them, to God. And in the uh, ancient times, where there was, wasn't was the weather channel going on 24-7, giving you a scientific explanation of what to expect and when it would come, when you didn't have access to that kind of information, it was even easier to fear and blame or wonder about God um, being responsible for this. So I think that assigning blame and um, and explaining why was something that was uh, very much a part of the ancient biblical narrative and something that we still do today. In the ancient biblical narrative, any time that we talk about, if not, I'll smite your firstborn dead, I think we need to really clearly talk about that And from my perspective, Tim's perspective is, I don't believe in a God that would do something like that. What I do think that probably happened was that whatever happened in the plagues of Egypt, if there even were plagues of Egypt, it was the person that collected these stories and finally wrote them down. Their anger, their vengeance, their vision of who is to blame and who should should we be mad at for this, whether that be God or whether that be their enemies. And if you think about, we don't usually get that worked up over religion, but if you think about being worked up right now in our country over the polarization of politics, for example, that anger, that polarization, that feeling, that needing to blame the other side, demonize the other side, that's very much a part of the time of the biblical narrative. And I can't help but imagine that that was part of the thinking of whoever was the person that wrote this down after hearing it in oral generations around campfires for generations and generations. I think we like to think that, you know, modern society, we've moved beyond this. And I had two examples this summer where we really haven't. And they were on the time when I was in June on sabbatical. One was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and one was in Cannonball, North Dakota on the Standing Rock Reservation. In Cannonball, there was a prairie fire that was uh, accidentally started. It went through the little town. It destroyed the, a church that I visited, a United Church of Christ Native American congregation, and two individual houses. And for about three weeks after the fire, you could still see the path of, of the fire in the burned grasses on the ground. And the people there were really puzzled because it meandered throughout the town, missing different things. And then at one point, it made an actual straight line toward the church over hundreds of yards. And so the persons that needed to explain why or what what did we do wrong or why, why is this? Is God punishing us? And having that be physically there to look at for a few weeks before the grass grew up and recovered, it really was hard to not wonder and ask that question, why why does this happen? Why did this thing go right towards our church? And in that particular culture and part of the United Church of Christ, it's more traditional, and folks there are more likely to look for those kinds of reasons than, say, we might be. But it happens other places, too. In Eau Claire, Wisconsin, at Plymouth, United Church of Christ, That particular church was struck by lightning in the midst of a torrential rainstorm and people heard the lightning strike, figured out on social media what was happening, and over the night many of them came and stood in the parking lot and watched the church burn to the ground. And every time that the the storm would seem to recede a bit and the lightning would stop, and the firefighters would get on the ladders and try to put the fire out on the church, the lightning would strike again, and they'd have to come down for their own safety. So it was the person standing in the parking lot had the experience of every time we have a moment, it's like it's taken away from us. So there were some people that were wondering, why is this? And then one person reported later on that she was having coffee with a friend of hers. A member of the church was having coffee with a friend of hers who was not a member of the church, but member of a more conservative church. And that friend of hers said, well, if your church wasn't so friendly to gays and lesbians, it wouldn't have been struck by lightning. So we like to think that that type of attitude is old and and behind us, and maybe in the biblical narrative, but not today. And unfortunately, it still very much is a part of who we are today. Another thing I'd like to say in, in terms of this attributing of the, um, the parting of the Red Sea and the killing of the Egyptians, the Passover, the liberation for the ancient Israelites but at the expense of the firstborn of the Egyptians that these are challenges to us in our modern, empirical, Western world. But that again, there are issues of vengeance and issues of blame. And then also in that point, in that part of life and in that time frame, there is a fear of the, the persons or the entities, the enemies that we had, or that they had, that we don't have today. When And I mentioned this last week, and I think it's important to say it again, but in archaeological sites throughout the Middle East, there are hills where the ancient cities once stood, and they're called tells. And the reason that the hills are higher than the surrounding area is that they're higher because there's levels of destroyed um, architecture, pottery, all the kinds of, of things of life, and the level of complete burning, and then another level burning another level, as many as levels of different uh, different civilizations that were living on that same site and the reason that there was such fear and such anger and such vengeance is that when you fought another entity in that part in that time and in that place of the world, you fought to the death and so it 's how could you imagine that this um, anger and these feelings of, of vengeance and blame would not come into the biblical narrative and thinking about that whether or not these things actually happened who knows and I certainly can't tell you if they did or not I think that for many of us they're metaphors and what does that mean, what does metaphor mean and I think for us today the two things that I can think of are the story of the ten plagues of um, ancient Egypt and the pharaoh resisting all of them It's very interesting to think about that in the modern day. Are there 10 warning signs about climate change? And are there 10, or are there pharaohs among us that hold the power to do something about that or not, and are not doing something about that? Another one is on the Passover story and the passing over, uh, and then the destruction of the killing of all the Egyptian firstborn animals and people, uh, um, animals as well. And we think about that and Pharaoh's hard-heartedness, and that finally was the issue that got to him, and so he said to the Israelites, go ahead and go, and then today's story, he changes his mind, sends his soldiers out after them, and then this disaster happens in the Red Sea. But and you think about what does it take for someone to get the message that this, you know, this uh, slavery is a bad thing, I might think of uh, this week in, in Freeman, Washington, for example, and thinking about uh, that the freedom that we're so tied to in many parts of our country is getting in the way of any meaningful effort at gun control, which may or may not be a way of challenging school shootings, but we're not trying, so we don't know. And I think about the Passover and the firstborn um, being targeted. Are we any different with school shootings? And we look at them week by week and, oh, another shooting. How sad. And don't do anything about it. Another piece about this is that it's hard, and for me, sometimes in the biblical narrative, to um, understand that this isn't just some grand sweep of history but that there are individual people and individual families and that this made uh, an enormous uh, change in different people's lives throughout history and even today. And I think of the persons in our congregation that watched their hometown or watched where their mother and aunt lives and deal with flooding and deal with hurricanes and the powerlessness of watching that from a distance and what can I do and how can I be helpful. And this pales in comparison, but five or six years ago when David and I were living in a different um, condominium than we are now, Stoneview Court, um, near Northgate Mall and Northwest Hospital, there was sort of like, we called it the perfect storm, but um, there was a very, very torrential rain and there was a car parked outside of the garage that was underneath our building, which went down underneath the level of the sidewalk there was a mattress that was discarded on the street. It floated to exactly underneath the car, got stuck, blocked to drain. All the water from the storm went into that garage and stood for four feet for a couple of days before it drained. And the, the grateful part for us is that our car was not in that garage, our, our car was in a higher garage, but our storage unit was. And we were given, we were in Puerto Vallarta, we were having a meal beachside at the very table that we ate at in Yalapa on the way home many, many years ago. And David's cell phone rang. And I thought to myself, you have your cell phone, and you have it on. We're on vacation. And we got the phone call about what was happening and from our neighbor, and there's nothing we can do, there's four feet of water standing, you know, things are going to be destroyed. So we had another margarita <laughs> toasted to the gods of fate. But when we came home and it wasn't a terrible thing we did lose a lot of things that were in the storage unit and I think I learned to be pretty philosophical about it because I thought to myself if I haven't touched this for five years do I really need it? So a lot of things were thrown away and what we did all of us that had storage units in that garage we carted them into the middle And they were a few weeks later. They were taken away by a moving company, but what I remember is the smell, and that's what I can only wonder about in places like Houston, Miami. And I had kind of gotten rid of my my um, neurotic issues about smelling floods until the fire happened in St. Paul, so then the smell got replaced by fire. But. That's our individual story, and it's a very simple one, and one that wasn't huge and difficult, but it was a significant part of our journey. And to think about when these things happen, they are full of individual people and stories and families that that are changed forever because of an experience like this. And then the other piece about this story in thinking about our world and thinking about um, Privilege, in particular, is that I think about the Egyptians that were sent by the pharaoh in this story who died in the Red Sea, and that they weren't ones that had any decision-making in that process, that they were sent there. If you're ever fortunate enough to travel to Egypt and to look at the ancient Egyptian sites and relics, they're enormous. We've all seen the pyramids of Giza, but also down in Luxor, there's the Karnak Temple and the Luxor Temple. The Karnak Temple is the largest temple that's ever been built in the planet, and it was built over the course of a thousand years. And it's enormously huge. If you can think of some of the old James Bond movies that happened in Egypt, they, they were filmed in Karnak. And when you're there, it, you realize that the issue for me, as I was a tourist visiting that site, was the issue of power and the power of the Pharaoh or whomever it was that made people build this over a thousand years. How many generations did that take of people that did nothing their entire lifetime but build something for someone else? And I think about that in the story of the Pharaoh sending the Egyptian soldiers out to chase the Israelites who didn't have a chance, who didn't ask to do this, and I think of um, an anti-war song, my favorite one. It's from the truce in World War One between the British and the Germans for three days at Christmas in 1916. And the song is called "Christmas in the Trenches." And what happened was that the two sides stopped fighting for two or three days. They got out. They shared pictures and cigarettes and played soccer under flare lights under flares, and then the powers that be got wind of this, made them go back to fighting, and the war continued. And this was actually tried to be covered up until the the, rema- the effects of the men who were killed were sent back to their families in Germany or England. And in, in England, they would find these German mementos, and in Germany, they'd find these English mementos. How did this happen? So the story finally came out. The song is called Christmas in the Trenches, um, and there's a verse in there that I think of when I think about the Egyptians being sent out to chase the Israelites, and the verse is this. The ones who call the shots won't be among the dead and lame, and at, at each end of the rifle, or in this case, the chariot, we're the same. And the final thought I'd like to think about in this time of looking at these Um, ancient Hebrew stories of the Passover, of the parting of the Dead Sea and of the manna from heaven there's an awful lot of energy put into trying to explain them away or trying to figure out ways that this really could have happened and if that's where we are, that's where we are I don't particularly put a lot of energy into that because for me the biblical story is important whether it's true or not in the ways of the empirical West And I've Googled this, and I cannot find whoever um, who said it initially. There's so many different people that claim it. But where I'd like to leave this particular thought is with the phrase that I think is very important. And the phrase is this, I take the Bible far too seriously to ever take it literally.